The word of our Lord from the Gospel of Luke. Now in the sixth month, the angel Gabriel was sent by God to a city of Galilee named Nazareth. He was sent to a virgin betrothed to a man whose name was Joseph. He was of the house of David. And the virgin's name was Mary. And having come in, the angel said to her, Rejoice, highly favored one. The Lord is with you. Blessed are you among women. But when she saw him, she was troubled at his saying and considered what manner of greeting this was. So the angel said to her, Do not be afraid, Mary, for you have found favor with God. And behold, you will conceive in your womb and bring forth the Son. You shall call his name Jesus. He will be great and will be called the Son of the Highest. And the Lord God will give him the throne of his father David. And he will reign over the house of Jacob forever. Of his kingdom there will be no end. And so Mary said to the angel, How can this be, since I do not know a man? And the angel answered and said to her, The Holy Spirit will come upon you, and the power of the highest will overshadow you. Therefore also, that Holy One who is to be born will be called the Son of God. Now indeed, Elizabeth, your relative, has also conceived a son in her old age. And this is now the sixth month for her who was once called barren. For with God nothing will be impossible. Mary said, Behold the maidservant of the Lord. Let it be to me according to your word. And the angel Gabriel departed from her. Let's pray. Father, we thank you for your word. We thank you for the opportunity to read it together, to hear it. Lord, we pray that you would help us to receive your word and to be blessed by it. We pray that you would help us to prepare ourselves for your son's return. We love you and we pray in his name. Amen. It seems that God prefers women to men. Sorry, guys. I was just thinking... uh, in last week's passage, which was in the same gospel, Luke, same chapter, chapter 1. We read of Zacharias's doubt when he questioned Gabriel. Maybe it's not God who prefers women. Maybe it's just the angel Gabriel. But you remember that, uh, that Zacharias said, this isn't possible. How can this be? And Gabriel's response to him was, zip it. You're not going to be able to speak now. For nine months until my word is fulfilled. 
Mary says, Gabriel, how can this be? This isn't possible. And it's as though Gabriel, instead of saying zip it, says, they're there. It'll all work out. Your heavenly father has a plan. And his spirit is going to overshadow you. And you are going to be celebrated among all women. I was asked a, a couple of weeks ago by a student in the middle of class. We were talking. I, I don't know how we were. It was a New Testament survey class. But we were well beyond the birth of Jesus because uh, it was, I believe, the last week of our studies together. Uh, I don't know how we got to talking about the birth of Jesus and about uh, the, the announcement to Mary. Perhaps it was because folks were already thinking about uh, preparing for Advent and getting ready for the countdown to Christmas Day. But a student asked me, why do we seem to avoid Mary? We don't talk much about Mary. And a couple of students said, I don't know. I th- you know, at our church, we talk a little bit about her. And I said, at Christmas? And they said, well, yeah. And I said, well, it is interesting. We, we rarely have much to say about her except for when it comes to Christmas Day. You are certainly uh, familiar with the, uh, the song, uh, Mark Lowry's Christmas hit, Mary, Did You Know? And if you've been on social media, you might have seen some of the memes floating around where it uh, has Mary standing with Gabriel and it says, yes, she did know. Yes, I knew, Mary says. She knew what was happening in her life because God, through His angel Gabriel, His messenger, made known to her. It's as though Gabriel's announcement came to Mary, much like Mr. and Mrs. Beaver's announcement came to the Pevensey children and the Lion, the Witch, and the Wardrobe. Aslan is on the move. The King is coming. Your hopes are being fulfilled. God's promises are not far off. He's on His way. In the passage that David read from us from the prophet Malachi, we heard that the messenger was coming. The messenger before the messenger. You notice there are two messengers in that passage in Malachi 3. In your English Bibles, the first one has a lower M at the beginning, and the second one has a, 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 an uppercase M. Because those two messengers, the first being John the Baptist, the forerunner of Christ, the one who was coming to prepare a people for the Lord's presence in their midst. That second messenger was indeed the Messiah, Jesus. The one who was coming, the Word made flesh to dwell among God's people. The people He had made in His very own image. The people He had formed after His own likeness. Mary knew what was happening. Mary understood that she had been chosen by God, that she had been highly favored among all women. But what did she know? What she knew was impossible. 
She knew that she was being promised impossibilities. What she knew had never before happened. What she knew defied all logic and all biology. I was reading just this past week. Lindsay got me a book. She's been making it a point to make this a special advent for me, and I really do appreciate that. Um, but I was on a I was on a, an airplane flight. I rarely fly. I haven't flown in almost thirteen years, and uh, so I was kind of new at it. David, I did. I printed off my ticket for the flight over to Kansas City, but on the flight back, I realized I'm in a hotel room. I don't have a printer. I'm not going to stand in line if I can avoid it. So I downloaded the app. And it worked flawlessly. It was pretty amazing. You ought to look into it sometime. <laughs> He's old school. Um, but on the flight over to Kansas City on Friday, I actually plowed through a book. I, I, I try not to be a curmudgeon. I actually did talk with some of the passengers around me, but I also made it through a book uh, by the time I reached my destination. But in that book, it was a case for, uh, for Christmas by Lee Strobel. And I've not read all of, his, all of his books, but I've read a few of them. And uh, in it, he, he interviews various scholars, some, uh, some biblical historians, some uh, apologists. One of the people that he interviews is William Lane Craig. And William Lane Craig, who is an Atlanta native, lives, lives here in the greater Atlanta area, uh, one of the world's greatest apologists in our time. He talks about the impossibility of the virgin birth. And he says he knows biologically what's wrong. What's wrong is there's a missing chromosome. And where's that chromosome going to come from? But in the end, William Lane Craig said that what settled in his mind, what reconciled the impossible in his mind, was the fact that we're talking about God. And if there is a God who created all of the universe, if there is a God who spoke the worlds into existence, then creating a chromosome to implant in the womb of Mary is child's play. That's nothing. That's easy peasy. What Mary knew was impossible. But who she knew was the God who does the impossible. And that's what Gabriel says to her. Your, your relative Elizabeth is well beyond the childbearing years. And she's been called barren for so long, but she's now in her sixth month of pregnancy. A baby named John will be arriving in just three short months. Because with God, nothing is impossible. We're talking about the Word who spoke all things into existence. We're talking about the one who hung the sun and the moon. The one who named every star. The one who knows and has numbered every hair on our head. Some of us, that's an easier task for God than others. But we're talking about the Holy One of Israel. The One who created all things. 
And so who, Mary knows, is the God who does the impossible. Expectation gives way to preparation. When you know that something is being expected, especially a child, you begin to prepare. In the world of growing families, we call this nesting. You know, you're settling the house. You're 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 getting a new crib. You're getting perhaps new uh, new new uh, new towels, bath towels for the baby. Maybe stocking up on some more some more diapers. We throw parties, showers. We begin this process of nesting. Because expectation gives way to preparation. When you're expecting something, you start preparing for it. You start getting yourself ready for it. I've mentioned, it's been a while since I've mentioned it, but uh, I had a friend, Daniel Adams, back in high school. He and I keep in contact some. Um, He had a t-shirt that said, Jesus is coming, quick, everyone look busy. If we're expecting Christ to return any day, we ought to be preparing ourselves accordingly. Not out of terror as though we're about to be caught, but with hope, with love. Preparing ourselves by spreading the peace of Christ's kingdom throughout the world as far as we are able. We ought to be making ourselves ready for Him. Preparing our houses, getting them in order, so to speak. Much like we do during this season in preparation for Christmas Day. You know, we hang the lights, reminding ourselves that Christ is indeed the light of the world. We put up a tree. We've got a chrismon tree here. Reminding ourselves that in Him, in Christ alone, only in Him, is there everlasting life. Our wreath reminds us of that. We purchase and wrap gifts, expecting the joy they'll bring to the faces of their recipients. And reminding ourselves that Christ indeed is the Father's greatest gift to us. He is heaven's greatest gift. Sent to earth to redeem humanity. Sent to earth to restore all of creation. He is heaven's gift. And so when we expect, we begin preparing. Expectation gives way to preparation. Mary had some preparation to do after the announcement of Gabriel. And so do we. The Gospel declares to us that Christ is coming again for a prepared people. People who are ready. People who are waiting. Not waiting idly. Not waiting curmudgingly. Not waiting despairingly, but people who are waiting, prepared. May we be found watching and praying with the church of the New Testament, crying out, Come quickly, Lord. Maranatha. But how do we prepare? It's easy to talk about preparing for Christmas Day. We know the things that we have to do. 
On that list might be getting a turkey. On that list might be getting all the veggies for the sides that you're going to have. If you're like me, you do cranberry sauce at Thanksgiving and Christmas. And so you're getting some cranberries. We know that if we're going to decorate, we've got to get all the decorations in order or we've got to go to the store because we can't untangle the lights. Or the, the garland tore again and just throw it away and buy, buy new stuff. We know of the gifts that we intend to give. And so we start preparing cards. We, we start wrapping presents. We forgot name tags. We've got to get the name tags. We, we know all those things that it takes to prepare ourselves for Christmas Day. But how do we prepare for the return of Jesus? Because actually that's what Advent is about. It's not just a countdown to presents. It's not just a countdown to turkey. It's not just a countdown to Luke chapter 2 being read. It is the beginning of the church's year. Looking to the heavens, remembering that the one who came will come again. It is encapsulated, the hope of Advent is encapsulated in the great hymn, Joy to the World, which we sang this morning. Have you ever noticed that hymn by Isaac Watts? It's not about Christmas. It's about the return of Jesus. He rules the world with truth and and grace. And he makes the nations prove the glories of his righteousness and the wonders of his love. The wonders of his love, the wonders, the wonders, the wonders of his love. It's a, an Advent hymn reminding us that Christ who came at Christmas will come again to restore all things, to make all things new. So how do we prepare for that? Well, we take our cues from Mary. Remembering that despite the passing of 2,000 years, not everything has changed. Childbirth is still a miracle. It's still a mystery. And we may not be expecting to bear a child ourselves right now, but we are certainly, as God's people, preparing to receive our Returning Messiah. And so we look to Mary's posture and we see a couple of things, a couple of characteristics in her posture. We see a confidence in Yahweh, not in herself. Notice her, her reliability, her confidence is not in, oh, I can do this. Her confidence is in knowing the one who does the impossible. We see out of that confidence that she has in Yahweh and not in herself, we see a submission to Yahweh. She does not submit to her circumstances. She does not submit to her difficulties. She does not submit to the impossibilities. She submits herself to Yahweh. She says in that last verse we read, 38, Behold the maidservant of the Lord. Let it be done to me according to your word. She submits. 
She submits not because she's a maidservant, but because she is the Lord's maidservant. She has confidence in Yahweh. And so she submits to Yahweh. And so much as a mother or a family prepares for a child, I want to suggest to you four things that we can do as God's people. Knowing what we know. Awaiting what we're awaiting. Looking forward to what we're looking forward to. Expecting the return of Christ. Here's how we can prepare for His return. First, we make room. Moms literally make room in their bodies, their wombs. Families make room for an expected child. They make room in their homes. We've got to, got to get a room ready. We've got to get a nursery together. We've got to get that crib set back up. We've got to build some triple bunk beds or what have you. Because there's no room. We don't want to be caught like the innkeeper telling Mary and Joseph, we've got no room in the end, so we, we make room. Families make room in their homes. They make room in their cars. Sometimes you realize, like we did a few years ago, we ain't got another seat in the car available. We got to make room. We got to get the car seat back installed. Maybe get a towel to roll up to cram under it because somehow they can't make those things where they just fit in a car. Families make room in their budgets. That's typically the, the greatest stress that a, that a father has. It doesn't matter how much or how little you make. When you know your, your, your wife is expecting a child, you start thinking, oh my goodness, oh my goodness, how am I going to make this work? I've got to have a friend take me out and you know, talk some sense into me. Help, help me think through this. At least that's me. Not now. We're not expecting, by the way. This is not an announcement. I'm not Gabriel come to, to, to give a message. I, I, your pastor come to give a message of preparing for Advent. But families make room in their budgets, figuring out how are we going to make this work? How are we going to make sure we've got the, the deductible met? How are we going to make sure that, that, uh, that, that we have everything we need? And they make room in their schedules. Families that are expecting, moms that are expecting, start figuring out and carving time in their planners for those doctor's appointments, those visits. Figuring out when they're going to have to vacation, if they're going to vacation before the baby comes. Figuring out, is family coming to town? Are we going out of town? Before this happens, make sure we block off the time that's needed. In our lives, if we're expecting Jesus to return, then what we ought to be doing is preparing ourselves by making room for Him 
in our lives. And that's a difficult thing to do this season. Because we know all of the things that have to be done. We know all of the parties we've got to attend. And none of you had better skip our party. It's going to be an amazing party. It always is, Bill. But we know all the things that have to be done. We know all the gifts that have to be purchased. All the dollars that have to be spent. And we say have to. None of that stuff has to happen. But we prioritize it. How much more so should we be prioritizing our time with God? And not just our time with God. But making room in our lives. Making room in this season for God and what He wants to do. We'll fight tooth and nail to make sure that we're told Merry Christmas and not Happy Holidays. We'll fight tooth and nail to make sure we get the best deal on the best gift. But if we're not careful, we'll get to Christmas Day and we'll realize that we blew four weeks where we could have prepared by making room in our lives for what Jesus wants to do. Not just to bless us, but to through blessing us to bless others as well. You know, one of the things on, on our bulletin, bulletins over there, one of the things that we've got listed on our bulletin that David mentioned that we've got coming up is the, the birthday dinner at the Center for Children and Young Adults. And sometimes we think, oh my goodness, we've got all this happening. But that's one of the most important things we can be doing is showing kids the love of Jesus. We make room as we prepare. Second thing we can be doing to prepare, something that moms do, something that families do as they prepare for a child, something Mary had to start doing, make sure she was doing, was we maintain our own health. Not that we can control it, not that, oh, we... we take care of ourselves but we do what we're able to maintain our own health work out your own salvation with fear and trembling the apostle paul said one of the things that moms have to do is make sure that they're eating healthy foods that they're exercising that they're not doing too much but they're also not doing too little making sure that when the doctor says you're on bed rest you stay on bed rest Making sure that when, when the doctor says we got to see you for a follow-up appointment, that they keep that follow-up appointment. Because as we're reminded on the airplane, if you don't first take care of yourself, you can't be of any service to take care of someone else. How much more so a mom who's bearing a child in her womb, must she take care of herself so that she can provide a hospitable environment for that child. A family must take care and maintain its health to prepare for a child. Our spiritual health, we ought to be evaluating this holy season. And maintaining health is it's, it's a combination of positives and negatives. Let's start with the negatives. Out with the bad. 
maintaining our own health, maintaining our spiritual health as God's people ought to involve some reflection and some confession and some repentance. We're reminded that the color is purple in Advent. Calling us to repent. Calling us to recognize that we are awaiting the presence of royalty. We ought to be getting our houses in order. Lord, search me out and remove anything that is unbefitting of Christ. Make me ready. But there's the positive element of maintaining health. Out with the bad, in with the good. Consuming those things that are beneficial to our health. In physical health, we think exercise, we think healthy eating, we think all those taking your vitamins and making sure they're good vitamins. In our spiritual lives, as we strive to maintain our own health, there are things that we know we ought to be doing. We ought to be reading Scripture. We ought to be worshiping. We ought to be gathering together as as God's people. We ought to be spending time in prayer We ought to be showing love to our neighbor. If we're indeed awaiting the return of Christ, we ought to be concerned about the health of ourselves that He'll find us in. Not so that we can be good, but so that we will be ready for Him. In preparing ourselves... Thirdly, we surround ourselves with a loving, supportive community. That's one of the most important things that a expecting mom or a family that's expecting a child, especially if it's a first child, but, but any child. One of the most important things is to make sure you've got the right support network. Making sure that you're surrounded by people who love you. And as a pastor, that's one of the, one of the things I, I want to harp on this season. Is that we surround ourselves with each other. With a loving and supportive community of faith. Families that are expecting a child, they surround themselves with family. They surround themselves with friends. They figure out who's going to be helping out with child care. They surround themselves maybe with educators going to childbirth classes. They surround themselves with medical professionals. Home birth or hospital birth. You've got to have the right people surrounding you. And as God's people, we ought to be surrounding ourselves with a loving and supportive community. The good news is, you've got it right here. You know where we are and you know how to find us. You know when to find us. But there's more than just gathering together for worship on Sundays. That's, that's, that's step one. That's base level surrounding yourselves with a loving, supportive community of faith. But how much time do we spend together outside this hour on Sunday mornings? How often do we check in with one another? Not to pry, but to let each other know we miss 
one another. To see, hey, how can I be praying for you? What's going on in your life? Tell me something I can celebrate with you. Tell me something that I can be praying for you about. Something, some burden that I can be bearing with you. We need each other. As we await the return of Christ, we need to be found in community together. Loving one another, supporting one another. If we are awaiting the return of Christ, if we are awaiting the one who is king of the universe, if we're awaiting the one who will make all things new, who will restore all things, one of the ways we prepare, expecting that, knowing what we know, we begin to practice what life will be like when he has arrived. Parents who are expecting begin to speak to their child. Even in utero. Hey, little Billy. That's what we called Imogene when we were expecting her. We didn't know if she was going to be a boy or a girl. We knew a girl named Billy, and of course, we know guys named Billy, so we thought, hey, that'll work. Nice little nickname. You begin to speak to that child. Billy, hey, it's mommy. I love you. Parents who are expecting begin to read to their child. Bill always gives me a hard time for counting babies that are not yet born in attendance on Sunday mornings. But I tell them, as soon as they got ears and they can hear me, they might be listening better than you guys are. And so parents begin to read to their child. They begin practicing those habits that good parents have. It's astonishing how many families don't read together or how many parents don't read to their small children. But parents ought to begin worrying over their child. I haven't felt him move in, in, in a couple hours. wonder what the doctor has to say about that. Parents begin to practice what life is going to be like once that child is out of the womb, even while that child is in utero. And as God's people who are declaring to the world that Jesus is coming again, we ought to be declaring it not as a fear and trembling type message, but as a triumphant message that we are His people, we are citizens of His kingdom, and we live as citizens of that kingdom. And we are about kingdom work. We are about living out the reality that Christ is indeed coming again. With Gabriel's announcement, Mary knew that the impossible was happening. Because she knew the God who does the impossible. Mary, did you know? Yes, she knew. And we, knowing what we know, knowing that Christ is indeed coming again, 
we have the opportunity to live in that reality. That He is coming again. That He's coming for a prepared people. That He's coming for people who are watching and praying. Who have made room in their lives. Who are maintaining their health in Him. Who are surrounding themselves. Not neglecting the assembling of yourselves as some do. He's coming for a people who are practicing out. Who are living out this kingdom reality. May we be found Ready. Maranatha. Come quickly, Lord. Let's pray.